0: My name is Javier Carlin, and welcome to Healthcare Business Radio. Join me and follow along as I learn, apply, and share the top business growth strategies that I'm currently using to grow my own business and to help you grow yours using only the best insights and advice from top industry leaders. Thanks for listening. Enjoy the show. Welcome to Healthcare Business Radio. This is your host, Dr. Javier Carlin, and today I'm excited to bring you a very special guest. We have Jennifer McGurk. Jennifer is the owner of Eat With Knowledge, a private practice that has helped over 1,000 clients over the past 10 years with the help of a team of three other dietitians. Mm -hmm. She is also the owner of Pursuing Private Practice, where she helps support other dietitians in private practice through her Dietitian Business School membership program. And today, Jennifer <laughs> will be sharing us with us the different stages of business, how to make hard decisions in business, and the behind-the-scenes at integrating work and family life as a mom of three and so much more. Jennifer, thank you so much for being here. I'm so excited for this.
1: Thank you. I'm so excited that you're having me, and I'm, it's a pleasure to be here. It's an honor.
0: Oh, beautiful. So I guess before we dive in, can you share with us a little bit about your story, your background, and how you got to where you are today?
1: Yes. So my story actually begins, I was high school, in college, and struggled with an eating disorder. And that's how I found dietetics. I know that my story is not uncommon whatsoever, but there's a lot of people that are helping professionals that have also struggled with something themselves. And I think it's good to talk about that and like to normalize it but I found eating disorder recovery myself. And that helped me figure out that I wanted to do that as a dietitian. And I'm so passionate about an anti-diet message. I'm so passionate about mental health. And I feel like the only way that I could do that on my terms was opening up my own business and starting my own private practice. So it was way back in 2011 when I started my own practice. Solopreneur did everything under the sun. (laughs) As you know, a lot of people start off like that and then slowly hire a team, but I basically started my business in 2011 and saw that I was just a horrible employee. I'm a great entrepreneur and there was really no other path for me. So I continued through the stages of business. I started my practice. I grew my business. I scaled. I hired a team. And now I do consulting work for other people that also want to start a business. And I'm very specific. My niche is within the non-diet space. Like I care so much about the anti-diet message. I care so much about eating disorder recovery that those are the professionals that I want to work with. So I feel like that's a little bit of a different spin on quote-unquote business coaching because we do a lot of supervision in my program. We understand the parallels between the professional struggle as well as our client struggle. And that's how pursuing private practice kind of came to be.
0: I love that. That's absolutely amazing. So for those listening who aren't aware of let's call this a movement. uh, Can you, can you explain to us a little bit more about the non-diet dietitian message and and what that all entails?
1: Yes. Yes. So there's a lot of people out there that call themselves a non-diet dietitian or some other phrases that you could use like intuitive eating dietitian, weight inclusive dietitian, fat liberation dietitian. Like there's different philosophies like health at every size too. Like there's different philosophies within the non-diet space. And I think that there are some philosophies that are perfect for some clients. There are other philosophies that are perfect for other clients. Just like we all have an ideal client that we want to work with in our business. I feel like some of the philosophies are different according to what the client needs are, but we all believe in a weight inclusive approach meaning that weight is not necessarily defining someone's health status. And there's lots of other factors that go into someone's health, but everyone deserves, like no matter what size you are, everyone deserves to have a great relationship with food and deserves health at any size. So that is really what a lot of anti-dieticians and anti-diet professionals believe. And of course, like I said, there's different philosophies that will go into different parts of that in more so extreme than not but we all, you know, stand for everyone deserving to have respectful healthcare and a healthy relationship with food.
0: I love that. That, That's, that's incredible. So that's been your, your message and, and your mission since you first got started with your own practice. Is that right?
1: Yeah. Well, yeah. yes and so no, I feel like, so Evelyn Tribbley and Elise Rash wrote the book intuitive eating and Evelyn Tribbley okay. has talked about this on many podcasts, that there's this period of time. That's like a cognitive dissonance period of time that a mm. lot of professionals go through. And I certainly, certainly went through it because I started my practice, like focusing on weight loss and focusing on how I can help people achieve weight loss and very driven by numbers when, I mean, to be honest with you, it was part of my own struggle as well. Mm. And when I recovered from my own eating disorder, I found this beautiful life on the other end of recovery that of course is not perfect because that's diet culture again, kind of showing up in someone's life, but finding this beautiful way of living intuitively and connecting to body and working on body image and just working on someone's relationship with food. So as I healed my own journey, I saw how powerful that message was and how much it impacted my life. So, I slowly started to kind of transition my practice a little bit. And I noticed, I mean, this was back in maybe 2011, 12, that other people were finding the same thing. And then I branched off and found other professionals that were doing intuitive eating and other professionals that were doing health at every size. And I found this similar stories of people really recovering once they can focus on challenging some of the diet culture messages in their own journey to health, what that actually does for someone's health and how. It flourishes in a lot of cases.
0: Yeah, that's that's amazing. And you know, throughout because you, you've had your private practice now for 10 years. Oh, yeah. And I know one of the things, you know, with when it comes to to nutrition and the industry, a lot of what we see out there is promoting, you know, diet, weight loss. Mm-hmm. And there's this like tangible result that people can see and a transformation that they can see and visualize and get. I know and may correct me if I'm wrong, I know with non-diet you know uh, dietitian philosophy, sometimes uh, I'm curious with getting clients for your practice because I'm all all about you know all about this philosophy. I'm curious what is it that you've found that the people who are coming to, to see you at your practice and the people that you work with as well, what is that tangible result? If there is any? and if it's not, what is it that that what's the message? That we're putting out there that actually attracts the people that are you know very interested in in you know running with this this I guess that really a new way of thinking about uh, yeah about oh yeah we can call it nutrition. a new way though yeah yeah oh my wow. gosh yes we does can. that does it's, that make
1: sense the question absolutely I think okay. this is where I think this is honestly where a lot of non dietitians struggle mm. because we don't want to say first of all a lot of people don't want to say like if you work with me this is guaranteed to happen because it's also too, a little bit of a deceiving thing because we know that our clients, we want to teach them how to get results. We want to help them get results. We are all about the results. We're all about the transformation, but a lot of times it depends. Like why do people, why do some people get results and other people don't is another podcast conversation in another episode, because that's a whole nother topic. But the thing is, is that we have to learn how to actually talk about our message As brand awareness and what exactly is going to happen when our clients work with us. So it might mean something as simple as you are going to have a healthier relationship to food and body, very, very general, very simple, all the way down to hey, do you want this holiday season to look a little bit different for you? Like, do you not want to feel stressed out? Do you want to feel okay going to holiday parties? Do you want to be able to eat the dessert? Do you want to be able to connect with your signals, hunger, fullness? know what type of food is going to make you feel good, be able to kind of sit with that, with all the emotional stuff that goes on around the holidays, like not feel chaotic down to those specific things. So it depends. Of course, brand awareness includes general messages all the way down to certain specific things. And it really just is how do we communicate this in a way that doesn't connect back to weight. You know, like that's the anti-diet approach.
0: Yeah, that that makes perfect sense. So it's it's very much based on the feelings, the state, the the emotions that people want to experience and avoid the negative ones, of course. So, uh, and I think I think that's what drives you know everyone. So so that makes a lot of sense. And so obviously, you know, I'm sure you started your practice overnight success, and you had no no challenges, didn't fail, not one mistake. <laughs>
1: And the diet culture message would be, and you can do it too. <laughs> and
0: you can do it too. That's right.
1: <laughs> no, no, no. For everyone out there listening, make sure you know that we are kidding. <laughs> yes. <laughs> a journey.
0: <laughs> so, you know, walking us uh, through, I know I'm not going to walk us through the whole entire 10 years, but if you, yeah. if, if like kind of just looking back, what were some of the things that really stood out for you? Let's call them, you know, a biggest failure and what you learned from it that we can share with others? Cause I think that'd be super helpful.
1: Yes. Oh my gosh. Well, my biggest one is actually professional related. So we've been mm. talking a lot about my solopreneur days in terms of opening up my private practice. Eat with knowledge was my very first business. And that has now grown into a group private practice. And that's kind of doing its own thing. It's coasting in business where it's not necessarily something that I focus on day in and day out because it's just running. Clients are coming, they're getting served, they're getting results and they're you know graduating. Pursuing Private Practice is the company right now that I am actively scaling. I'm working on that every single day. Um, You know, that has seen tremendous growth over the past year, but it is newer. It's like my newer business. So my biggest failure in pursuing private practice was writing a short book series on private practice. I spent, I'm like embarrassed to say this, but I want to say this for everyone to know. I think I spent a year writing the book I spent a couple thousand dollars on book editing, building a website for the book. And literally, I think the first day, I think I got 15 sales at $20 each. <laughs> I, after a year, I mean, I think the book, I forget the exact set, I think the book ended up selling maybe like 900 copies, but you know, at $20 each. And what happens in the book world is that I found the hard way. Selling information is completely different than actually working with someone who is able to process the information that they are receiving. So I saw this amazing success in my private practice. I had clients and I thought to myself, oh my gosh, I'm going to work for a year. I'm going to write this book and I'm going to have all this quote unquote passive income. And I had to completely change my model because I saw that just by selling information it doesn't really work for a lot of people like yes the book someone could argue with me that like the book did well and it sold lots of copies but I definitely didn't break even I spent way more money than what I made in that first, you know, edition of pursuing private practice if you will, but then what happened was the book turned into a course. I decided to open up a Facebook group that came with the course. So it kind of turned into a little bit of like a hybrid group coaching program, but then I had to shut that all down because that wasn't the right model. I turned it into a business coaching membership and that's the model that has been successful for, for pursuing private practice.
0: That's that's amazing. And you know, it's, it's interesting that you, we know talking about failures and for someone it's like, you wrote a book, like that's a major win. And we, you know, we actually have a a book called health secrets that we launched a couple of years ago. And again, it wasn't, we didn't get a ton of sales, but I also think there's something about the authority and expert status also that is it plays a role so you know i think um it's interesting like i think that's amazing 900 copies that's a good number of copies so congratulations on the book launch <laughs> i
1: think it was 900 i remember yeah. i remember the year that i had to actually report to my accountant like what the book made it was barely breaking even mm. with all the money that i spent on it so literally i think i calculated that i made maybe like 3 dollars an hour for all the hours hours that I had worked on the book, wow. something crazy like that. Like I had made yeah. $3 an hour by the time it was all said and done. I mean, it was barely breaking. Hey, even. You have an asset for life. <laughs> I don't know, I, well, that's it, That's not the I don't even sell the book anymore. It's oh, gone. actually, no. okay. you know what? I think there's one copy available on Amazon selling for like $800 or something. Cause it's obviously not my, I copy. was
0: about to say, <laughs> I'm going to buy the last copy. I, I I'll, I'll let you know.
1: <laughs> I know.
0: It's a limited so that- edition. If it, if it can get signed, you know.
1: <laughs> um, but basically, yes, the book helped me, but I think I did it backwards. Okay. I had, the thing is, and this is a good business lesson for everybody, like a business solves problems. So who is your ideal client and what are the problems that you want to solve for them? I had had a couple business coaching clients at that point when I wrote the book. And I thought I had a lot of the answers and I thought the answers were information. It's just, people need more information. People need to know how to do it. People need to know how to set this up and how to do this and how to do that. When it comes down to it, people need inspiration and motivation and community in order to reach their goals. And they also, I mean, they also need a lot of mindset shifts. And I've known that for myself. I don't know why I thought that what I would offer the world would be anything different. So how Pursuing Private Practice has grown so much is that it's gone from just information to the actual processing of challenging situations that come up in business. And that is something that I'm really proud of because I'm able to scale it in a way that I know is making a difference versus having a product out there that's just, you know, kind of sitting. So
0: yeah, that makes perfect sense. And I love the idea of, I think with exactly what you said, community, community yeah Uh, support a network of people that's there to push each other motivate each other and inspire each other uh, I think is so key and I think like you mentioned a huge lesson for everyone that all the information is almost already out there yeah you know but a lot of it is not the information it's more of the implementation right that actually moves us forward and gets us the results but sometimes if we execution the execution and sometimes left to our own devices like there's so many distractions out there and so many different directions that we can go that it's easy to to lose focus. So I think that's a huge lesson. Thank you for sharing that.
1: Yeah, no, you're yeah. welcome.
0: Yeah, you know, with, with uh, I know we, we were discussing a bit of the different stages of business and you had mentioned mm-hmm. one business right now is coasting. Yeah. and and this one you're in the process of scaling. So what what are those different stages of business? I think that'd be super valuable to learn yes. more about.
1: Yeah, it's so funny. Co- like you always hear start, grow, scale, right? You mm-hmm. always hear that. Like every single business coach will say that. Lots of business programs will say that. But I said something to someone in dietitian business school, which is the membership program that I run, um, talking about boundaries, talking about self care, and I just said very matter of the factly, oh, you're coasting, and everyone loved that. You should have seen their faces. I mean, I know we're on video now, so I can show you it was like, what? Like coasting? Cause I feel like in business, we're always talking about getting to the next level, doing the next best thing, which I completely agree with. I think working hard is something that I really value. It's a strong, like strong value of mine, but a lot of times we don't take the time to actually rest. We don't take the time to reflect. We don't take the time to, you know, figure out, how I'm going to do this thing in maybe a little bit more of a productive way. How am I going to set a new boundary for the stage of business that I'm in? How am I going to streamline a process? How am I going to figure out what the next best thing is for me, but how do I give myself that white space in order to do so? So I define coasting as literally, it's still hard work because Business is hard work, but it's hard work in the sense of honoring your boundaries. It's hard work in the sense of figuring out your self-care. It's hard work. I mean, I talk about CEO time all the time. I'm sure you have lots of CEO time in your schedule. It's like the white space where you have to go sit and think about your business. We don't give ourselves that nearly enough. So coasting in business is focusing on those aspects.
0: I love that. And I think a big part of it is... is is you know, exactly what you mentioned. And it's also being okay with it.
1: Yeah. Mm -hmm. I know for,
0: I know for us personally, it was uh, the month of October and November. Some say like you weren't coasting, but for us in our mind, we were because we were kind of re re just revamping, refining and refocusing. Okay. What are we going to be doing going into, into the new year in 2022? What are, what does that even look like for us? And taking that thinking time, but there was a part inside of me that was a little bit guilty and I wasn't kind of okay with it where I was still thinking, oh, we should probably do, be doing more right now. So it's, it's, it's um, I think someone, um, one of our mindset coaches calls it a, a stress addiction, where we're so used to go, 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 that when we start to coast, we start to feel weird and, yeah. uh, and, and not good. So I think I love that phrase coasting and the fact that it's okay, um, yeah. I think is huge.
1: Yeah. yeah. Oh my gosh. We're, we are. I mean, I would totally agree. We're addicted to the chaos sometimes because what are we avoiding when we just mm-hmm. sit and think with ourselves? Yeah. You know, like that. I think a lot of dietitians are so prone to, well, what's my next move? What's my next move? What's my next move? I mean, so many of us are. And I think, you know, hearing you say that too, I would argue all healthcare professionals are. It's like, what's the next thing? What's the next thing? And as entrepreneurs, we're always solving problems. Yes. So, one thing that's been helpful for me is to literally have a list of problems that I could solve, but it's not on the team project board. It's literally my project board. So it's just out of my brain and onto something, (laughs) but it doesn't mean I have to take action on it if it's not the right realistic time. I love that.
0: Yeah. And you know, it's, it sounds like when it comes to, when it comes to the support system and, and getting help along the way, obviously getting into into the business mentorship space. I'm curious for you as you were building up your private practice, you know, can you, can you tell me about a mentor, a coach that has influenced your life in some way Did you, did you have someone helping you along the way as well? Yes.
1: Oh my gosh. I feel like I had so many people back then. Well, I had also too, I have different support now. So I feel like that's another thing too. I started off with some amazing mentors And I eventually got myself clinical supervision, which for those of you that don't know, clinical supervision is so important in our anti-diet space, like any counseling space in general. It's just so good to understand, you know, transference, counter-transference, like any type of counseling relationship. It's always good to know your own triggers and what's going on for you in relationship to the work that you do. So I feel like that was super important. Um, Jessica Setnick was my clinical supervisor for many, many years. She is a friend now, a colleague. I still love her so much, of course. Um, but recently I've gotten coaching from Rachel Rogers. I don't know if you know Rachel Rogers and her Hello 7 team. I'm in their mastermind program. So I feel like I always have something like I feel great. And I'm an Enneagram three. I don't know if you know Enneagram at all, but I'm an Enneagram three to my core. So I feel like having something to work on is vital for my business. And it keeps me accountable, though, because it's not, it's like a set type of accountability where, okay, like this is the once a month coaching call. This is what I'm going to do. And I'm going to set my plan of action for the next month. So it's almost like I can almost be accountable to myself to get my stuff done. But for me, it's almost accountable to myself that I'm not going to set a crazy goal for the next month. It's unrealistic. I'm going to literally do it one step at a time. So that's what works for me.
0: Yeah. That's amazing. And I think, I think, you know, uh, I love everyone who's listening to this episode to, to realize is that, you know, your coaches should have coaches Have
1: coaches. Mm, oh my gosh. Yes. Yeah.
0: A coach that doesn't have a coach does not deserve to be your coach. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Thank
1: you for saying that. Let's normalize business coaching. I mean, it's like people always say too, why would I see a dietician? Like the dietician can help you in so many different areas. Like I know the value that we bring, same with business coaching. The value of my business coach is invaluable. I should say, you know, I need business coaching in my life because not only does it make me a better business coach, it helps me with all the things that I'm trying to help other people with, you know, there's no shame around that. I feel like your support system is so important.
0: Yeah, totally. And you know, one of the things um when it comes to support system, I know for for many dietitians, many healthcare professionals and especially those going into business, one of the things that holds people back from either taking the leap or really going all in in their business and feel good about it is the idea that if they go and start to really focus and, you know, put their energy, time and effort into their business that their family is going to take a backseat. And there's this like constant struggle and this, this pool going back and forth between like, what should I do? And a lot of that is also the, the support system with a significant other. There's a lot of, uh, there's a lot a going lot, on yeah. there. So I'm curious with you, you know, um, being a mom of three and having a family, what was that like as you were building your private practice and what does that look like now? And has that oh dynamic my gosh. changed?
1: Thank you so much for bringing this up. This is such an important topic. So I believe that private practice is perfect for parents Because let's face it, like, I don't know how I would have handled working a nine to five in a hospital or an organization that required me to be there in person during COVID or some sort of traumatic response like that and having children at the same time. I don't know how I would have done it. I have, I have no clue. My partner is in a job where no flexibility whatsoever. And if he gets called in, I'm with the kids. So I really do think that having that control over your schedule and having that flexibility is so important. Granted, I think it's a little bit easier now that I'm in the CEO role versus when I was seeing, you know, seven, eight clients a day, which has certainly been my business in the past, but having the flexibility to be able to move things around when needed is so important having the space to say okay I would know that I work best in the mornings or even like, I know that my kids are going to be home pandemic style, you know, and, and they're best in the mornings, having the ability to have appointments at a time that really works for you is so key. Having the ability to do certain things like that's not necessarily on a time frame can also really help business growth, but then also having the ability to say no. Sometimes in a regular job, you're given these tasks where it's like, these are the projects that need to get done. This is the timeline. Here you go. And as a business owner, yes, we have those timelines for ourselves, And I would argue sometimes we have stricter timelines for ourselves than jobs, but we also have the ability to say, you know what, right now is not the right time. I can't focus on that. And it is what it is. I'm just going to take this off quarter one and put it on quarter two. And then also having the ability to hire and delegate, you know, you can't necessarily do that at a regular job. You can't say, I would like to hire an assistant for myself at this position, but as a business owner, you can always bring in more support. So I would argue that being a parent and having a business is a lot easier than what people think it is.
0: Wow. Yeah, that is so good to hear. You know, we don't have kids yet, but when we do, you know, I I, I could imagine yeah. it would be, but I think a lot of people believe the opposite. So hearing yeah. that is so, is so refreshing because it makes sense. And, you know, it's funny um, on this topic, I... I posed a question on my personal Facebook profile today um, that I think would be interesting to, to ask you. Um, the question was, uh, in your opinion, what and where do we have more security? Is there more oh. security in having a job or in having an owning your own business? And I know, it's a leading question. I know what you're going to say, <laughs> but I'd love, I, I love to hear why.
1: <laughs> owning your own business. Because yeah. if something doesn't work out, you can pivot you can absolutely make changes there. I mean, think about how many times things have not worked out for probably you and me. Like it's just, we make changes and I feel, I don't know. There's something about our personalities where I don't know if you'd agree with me, but I just feel we're passionate enough to keep going even when it doesn't quote unquote make sense because all business owners are so passionate about whatever mission we have. So yes, it might not make sense to do this, but you know that it's going to work out. So you do it anyway you know, and you take that risk. So I know there's lots of privilege in this conversation because not everyone has the financial privilege to do that or not everyone has the time in their schedule. But I feel like if we're thinking about those things subjectively, we are the crazy people that will get it done.
0: (laughs) (laughs) For sure, for sure. And uh, you know, it is, it is, yeah. And that's that's what gets me. It's like, you know, we have the time and this and that. It's like, well, we made the time. And I think everyone Mm -hmm. listening here, like if you really want it, Like there are things in your life right now that you can replace if you wanted to actually make the time for it. And it's not going to be overnight. It'll take some time. But if you start now, you'll get there much faster. So yeah, um, I I think think, you, yeah, yeah. you also
1: have to learn how to say no. Like you also have to learn how to have the boundary strong enough, which again, a lot of people struggle Mm. with this. So I'm saying this with tons of nuance, but having the boundary that is solidified enough to be able to stand up for your schedule, to be able to stand up for the things that you know are that important. And that because you're doing that, you have to say no to some of the other things, mm, you know? So it yeah. just, it, it's kind of just like a trading game of what is more important in this season of your life.
0: That's so good. That, that's really good to keep in mind. So that, uh, and as I'm thinking about that, even, even the vision of, of where we want to go be a year from now, and then even thinking about, hey, is is this is saying yes to this gonna get me closer or further from that? And if it's mm-hmm, further, mm-hmm. am I okay with that in the moment? And I think a lot of the times we don't we forget to think about what the impact is gonna be, you know, later on. But even then, if it is an impact that might slow our growth or where we want to get to, am I okay with it? If yeah. it isn't hey, oh yeah, you know, yeah, because um, like
1: what we said before about coasting, if it's something mm-hmm. that's gonna help us coast for a little bit until yes. we're ready to keep going with any type of scaling that's fine. Like that's a decision that we make in the moment. So.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I love that. What is, you know, over the past month or couple months, what is one thing that you've learned about either your life, your career, your business that has completely changed your perspective? Oh,
1: that's a good question. Trying to think over the past month. I mean, can I do past year? Is that okay? That's, that's <laughs> Is that totally okay. Yeah,
0: okay. go for it. <laughs> I was going to
1: say, yeah, I was going to say. Well, I think not necessarily completely changing my perspective, mm-hmm. but I think not being afraid to... what I said before about hiring, not being afraid to hire before you're ready and hiring before you're ready can be an act of self-care is something that I have completely decided on because I'm in, you know, I'm obviously in business masterminds and we talk about revenue all the time. We talk about profit. And when I break down like my team expenses, it's quote unquote, a little bit higher than what's recommended. Granted, who makes up these recommendations? I don't know. But in my mind, paying more for my team is an act of self-care because at this point in my life, I can't have all the time in the world to work. Like I only have this many hours. So I know that if I'm going to work in my quote unquote zone of genius, I have to let some of these other things go because I don't have the time to do it. So I think that whole process this year of like looking at team, looking at expenses, looking at all of the business profit loss stuff, which I feel like I've always looked at that, but this is the first year that I'm literally looking at it like at least once a month, like I should be. <laughs> Don't do what I did before. But just hearing that and seeing those numbers kind of play out, like I can see sometimes when I do spend a little bit more money on my team, my life is better and therefore the business is better and therefore I have the ability to be more of a visionary than ever before.
0: I love that. I love that so much. And I think that's a good reminder for all of us, even you know, as, as we're talking about building a team and and scaling and maybe even doing that before you think you're ready. Um, one thing that comes to mind is they should change it from team expenses to team investments.
1: <laughs> that is so true. Right? That is so true. Because it's that an investment so in
0: getting your time back. And it, and I think that's a beautiful thing. Like that's what we oh do gosh. it all for if we, if we think about it. So I yeah. think that's amazing. And for for those, I know we have a lot of listeners uh, who are like, I haven't even started yet. Like I can't yeah. even think about hiring, but think about this, right? I think so many people people forget about who their first hire can actually be. And, um, because we're on the topic, I'll just bring it up really quickly, but a lot of people it's like, well, I don't have the time. Cause I have all these things I have to do. And I don't, I can't, I, I don't know where I'm going to find the time to do things that, for my business, yeah. but think about like your personal life. What yeah. can you outsource there? Can you have someone, if you mow the lawn, mow the lawn for you? Can you have someone yeah. take care of the kids for a couple hours? Can you have someone wash the car? Whatever those things that are sucking up time in your life right now, even in your personal life, can you hire people to help you with that first? Because that can, you know, compound and take a good amount, a good chunk of time. So totally. um, I always like to throw that out there because a lot of people forget about that. And that's a lot of time that can be saved, especially yeah. early on, for sure. And
1: especially if you don't like doing something like yes. here, here's the thing for the, for some parents and might be like, oh my gosh, child care like, oh, time away for my kids, but can you do Instacart? You know, like maybe, maybe you could trade off groceries for that quote unquote expense, you know? So what do you not like doing? Try to get that off your plate. That would be my best advice.
0: I love that. Yes. Yeah. yeah so good. So good. When I think, you know, especially you, you've had a lot of success in your private practice for those that are, that are, tuning in now and are like, man, I would really love to get to the point where um, my practice is thriving. I have a team of three dietitians and I'm in a place where the business is coasting. Let's kind of rewind. If you were able to go back to when you first started and break down top two to three things that you would do Differently this time around, okay. that you would really focus on to, and, I, and now I'm like to grow as quickly as possible, but also without killing yourself. <laughs> <laughs> without
1: killing yourself, without, without burnout. Yourself.
0: But what are the things that you would do? And maybe they're the same. Maybe it's exactly the same. But yeah. well, I would love to know. Yeah.
1: I was going to say one thing that I think really helped me that I have now learned. It's so funny that you learn this in like mastermind coaching programs, but I'm like, I've always known that is to focus on relationships. And to build that way and to not be afraid to put yourself out there, even asking your friends and family, like, so a lot of dietitians say, well, I wouldn't see my friends and family for consults. Like that's unethical. I say, write them an email anyway, asking them to connect you to someone that could help you for your business. You know, like it, even if you're not sending an email directly to an actual potential client, everybody that you know, knows five other people that could help you. And when you find the authentic relationships that you, you can really bond with, whether or not it's referral sources or people that are just willing to help you in business or supervision or something like that, like those people, you're, you just expand your network at the beginning. And then you grow into your audience. Like I think a lot of people do it so backwards where they think, Oh my gosh, I'm starting. I have to build this entire audience. I have to be on Instagram. I have to use these hashtags to get all these people when in reality, like they're focusing on cold leads so much more. So before they focus on warm leads. And in my opinion, warm leads are easier to convince to help you with business stuff than cold leads. So that's would be my best piece of advice. I, and I could that. go more and you want to, too. Yeah, <laughs> but that's, that's my number one.
0: That's good. That's so good. Yeah, the, the low hanging fruit, right? It's like there, there's so many people in our network already that we have access to that, like you said, are are warm that could connect us with with potential. Uh, people we can serve. So I love that. Yeah, let's hear number two. I'd love to hear number two. <laughs>
1: yeah. Well I was gonna say and also to build your yeah. confidence because yeah. when you go like if yeah. you were to do a, an Instagram live of a thousand people looking at you, like you're gonna freeze. Like you you need to be able to pitch yourself to one person before you go out and build your audience too. Absolutely. Um okay. second thing I would say hire like so I know we talked about hiring a lot, but I would hire quickly, quicker than what I did is Mm -hmm. what I would say. Like, absolutely. I waited way too long to hire for my business thinking that I could do it all. And that mentality is so dangerous, especially if you're good at everything. I will say that because I was in that category too. It's like, oh, I can just do this really fast or oh, I'm already good at this or oh, I'm the only one that can do this. It prevented me from hiring. So I think that's my number two. And then recognize the importance of doing good work, I think is number three. Because so much of the time we, you know, talk about marketing and sales and getting new people. And, you know, you and I were talking about funnels before you hit record. I was like, your funnel is so beautiful. <laughs> but at the same time, you have to focus on doing a good job with clients because that good work will get back to their referral sources. They, if, you know, if they're comfortable, they'll go out and tell everyone else about you. And if you have this amazing business strategy and like marketing everywhere and your sales process down, and then clients get into your funnel and it's a horrible experience, it's not good business foundation. So I think doing a really good job with clients, whatever your area is, whatever your specialty is, you know, your passion, like that is such a good business foundation.
0: I love that. And I think, you know, on that note, one thought that came up is I see a lot of, Dieticians and healthcare professionals who want to go into offering group programs right off the bat. And depend and yeah. again, it's very nuanced. It depends on, on your past experience. But a lot of the times it's like, what's can we create a framework, a process that people can go through and ultimately get a very similar result? And there might be, you know, a little bit of, of individual one-to-ones in between, but I think that's that's all that should always be. Uh, number one priority like you mentioned is like hey results delivery like fulfillment is that all dialed in um yeah. that's huge yeah
1: yeah create yeah creating it's like well this is a whole other project, yeah, i know we can, we can go in so <laughs> we many can directions a tangent. Yeah. i was gonna say like intellectual property like you have to have the experience working with people to pull from their common problems and their common solutions and their common results. It is very hard. I, I don't want to say that you can't do it because especially if it's not, if one-on-one is not your passion, I think it's fine to go into group programs, but it's very hard to create a successful online course, group program, membership program, whatever it may be without understanding your ideal client. And I think the best way to understand your ideal client is to do one-on-one work with your ideal client. So 100%. that's kind of my view on it.
0: Yeah, I a hundred percent agree. That's good. So as we're uh, nearing the end here, I'd love to know what are your plans for life, for business?
1: 2022. I know 2022. it's so funny today. I just hosted a workshop in my program on annual calendar planning. And you know what I said? I said, you sometimes can't necessarily look at the whole entire year. Like you can, of course, if you want to, but sometimes looking at the quarter, looking at different projects you want to complete, even just looking at your ideal month, as a theme or looking at your ideal week as a theme can be a great way to plan. So for 2022, we are revamping our own business curriculum in Dietitian Business School. We're going through all of the curriculum live, so we're turning it into a really speaking of framework, like group program, a strategic framework in our program. So I'm so excited about that. That's going to start in February. And then I don't necessarily know. I want, I mean, hopefully fingers crossed. I want to take a really long vacation at some point this year, fingers crossed with COVID, you know, building my team. I'm excited. I want to hire more in 2022. So we will see where all of this goes, but we have the first six months kind of mapped out to some degree. And then we'll see. That's as far as I can go. I think that's so <laughs> where exciting. my life is right now.
0: That's that's so uh, exciting. Where, where are you heading? Or do you already know where you're, where the vacation? Oh, no. Go? My
1: husband and I were thinking about going to Ireland because his Ooh, family's from from Ireland. Point. So yeah. that might be our number one, but I also too, I, any beach, like you could even put me, yes. <laughs> I was going to say New Jersey beach, like, cause we're from New York, even Long Island, like any place <laughs> with sand, I will go. I was going to say, hey,
0: come over to Clearwater. We'll hang out I over know. here. It's yeah, like some people might. say
1: Turks and Caicos. I'm like, you can take me to New Jersey there and I'm go. fine.
0: <laughs> That's funny. So anyone listening right now, if you have any suggestions for, for Jennifer and myself, I love to travel too. Please uh, yeah, email let us. us know. We, we'd love to know. Awesome. Well, Jennifer, thank you so much. Do you mind sharing with our audience where they can keep up with you? They'd like to learn more about you and your work.
1: Yeah. So pursuing private is where all the magic happens. You can also find our podcast on that website. So it's pursuing dot And then you just hit the podcast tab. If you want to find all the episodes, we have lots of different free resources there and come on over to Instagram too. If you have any questions, we're at pursuing.private.practice.
0: Beautiful. Thank you so much. This was You're a blast. And, Thank you for uh, having me. Absolutely. Absolutely. We'll talk soon. Thanks. Thank you so much for listening to this show. I know your time is valuable and I know that you are here to learn how to build a successful business. So I have something special just for you. If you are a healthcare expert who is in business or is aspiring to be, and you're curious about how to grow a profitable, impactful business, then you are going to want to pay attention because as a listener of this show, I want you to win. So I've created a bundle of resources exclusively for the listeners of Healthcare Business Radio. If you want to know how to increase your income, impact more people, and build a business that works for the lifestyle that you want and that serves your family at the highest possible level, head over to healthcarebusinessradio.com forward slash insider right now so you can win big in your healthcare business and in life.